0: Welcome to Chick Chat, the Baby Chick Podcast. I'm your host, Nina Spears, the Baby Chick, and today I'm with Mary Alice, a midwife and our managing editor here at Baby Chick. We're here doling out no-nonsense pregnancy and parenting advice. We've worked with hundreds of families and have condensed all that we've learned to bring you simple, practical, and immediate advice for preventing parenting conundrums. At the end of women's pregnancies, many women are faced with the decision or recommendation to medically induce labor. Some reasons are for the health and well-being of the baby and mother, and some are for more personal reasons. We're recovering all these details and what you can expect during a labor induction. We hope this helps. Hey, everybody. Hello. <laughs> so, guys, lately I've been to a lot of labor inductions. You know, you
1: said that and I was thinking about it. I have two. I don't know what it is. I don't know either. I don't know why. Both of my dual clients last month were induced. Really? Yeah, I feel like. I mean,
0: not my last one, but the two before were inductions. And I was like, what is up with this? And it just inspired me to have this conversation with Mary Alice and to give you guys some information on inductions so you know what to think about, what to consider, and what to expect if you have to have an induction for you know health and medical reasons, or if you decide that's that's what you prefer. So we're going to jump into it. But before we do, I'd like to say a little disclaimer. Mary Alice and I have been to dozens of labor inductions. Combined? Combined, like a lot, like a more ton. than dozen, <laughs> <laughs> and you know some inductions are like quick and amazing. Some are long and amazing, <laughs> and some of
1: them are not amazing.
0: <laughs> <laughs> and you know we know that every person's body is is different, and they're going to respond to inductions differently. I mean, some may be already you know, dilated to three centimeters or five centimeters where some women are completely closed and like no effacement.
1: And honestly, some people really want to be induced. They want to be induced. They're done. It makes them feel in control and have peace of mind about their birth. But more often than not, we get questions from people who are being induced who weren't planning on being induced and how to avoid an induction and how to navigate the waters around being induced because that wasn't their birth plan. So this podcast is for everyone. And I think that Nina and I probably, I would say, have been to more negative inductions than positive inductions. Unfortunately. And and unfortunately, that might come through in our tone of voice every once in a while. So we wanted to give you a little disclaimer. Yeah,
0: definitely. Because at the end of the day, we really do hope that this Mm -hmm. episode helps women out there. But we want to be also honest Mm -hmm. and realistic with what to expect and to help you guys out there. But let's get started. Okay. So common reasons for induction of labor. So as you know, most women, if it comes to a medical induction, it's for medical complications. So
1: those Mary Alice are like high blood pressure, gestational diabetes, your baby's not growing correctly, either they're measuring kind of small, which is called small for gestational age, or you've been diagnosed with inner uterine growth restriction, IUGR, and they really are worried about how much blood supply and food your baby's getting. Yeah. And then
0: premature rupture of membranes without any contractions. So that's PROM. So those are some things that can, that can happen and really throw you for a loop.
1: Yeah. And there are others too, like medical necessary inductions when the health of mom or baby is at risk. Some of those are like amniotic fluid levels are down, which is an indicator that your placenta might not be working well, a biophysical profile or another test that says that baby isn't doing so well on the inside anymore. Yeah. And sometimes they even say baby might be too big, mm-hmm. um, which I
0: also think is important to ask for maybe a second opinion because the measurements can be a
1: little off. Yes, and if you're interested in reading more about the recommendation for induction or the recommendation for C-section based on a big baby, there is a wonderful, wonderful evidence-based birth article that compares all of the evidence around that from peer-reviewed studies. And we will link to that in the podcast description. Yes.
0: Perfect. So those are the medical complications that can happen that will cause you know a reason for a medical induction. But the most common reasons for labor induction definitely are post-dates. So you have gone past your due And it's time
1: to have a baby. And really, statistically, women go about eight days past their due date, whether or not it's their first-time baby. And first-time moms tend to go even more days past that if left to their own devices. However, doctors really do have policies. Hospitals have policies, practices have policies. Some of them induce it 40 weeks, 41, 42 weeks, and many of those are hard lines. Like if you You know, go to 41 weeks and two days. You must be induced. Right. And we know that some of you out there have had your babies like at 37, 38 weeks.
0: And that is so awesome. But we don't want the moms who are going past their due dates to feel discouraged because they also need to know that this is normal and this is common. And yes, there are policies that we need to have a baby at a certain point. And to ask them how long
1: they're going to allow you to go before scheduling a medical induction is really important. Yes. And so I think one thing to consider and one thing that you should understand is why do doctors and midwives, everybody, why is it that they want you to deliver by X number of weeks? And it's because placentas are temporary organs. In fact, it is the only organ that you generate, make and then dispose of. <laughs> um, Pretty incredible. Yeah. And it's its own little organ system. And so they really only last for so long. And the risk that the placenta is deteriorating and no longer getting food and oxygen to your baby that it needs, that risk goes up as you surpass your due date. So starting at 39 weeks, it is true that the risk of stillbirth starts to increase with the most drastic increase in that risk occurring after 42 weeks gestation. So many, many times you'll hear like in the state of Texas where I practice, midwives are legally not allowed to deliver your baby at home starting at 42 weeks and onward. And
0: that's why a lot of doctors really have that firm line at, okay, they'll see you at 41 weeks, but at that appointment, they'll be scheduling your induction a couple of days later, just in case it is a one, two or three day long induction process. They want to make sure baby is born before that 42 week mark.
1: Yes. And something we did want to bring up, since we have gotten questions around it when we've talked about inductions or post dates, is the ARRIVE trial, which was presented at ACOG maybe a year or so ago. And just to give you a little brief overview of it, the mission of this was to find out if elective induction of labor during the 39th week of pregnancy would result in a lower rate of death and serious complications for babies compared to waiting until at least 40 weeks and five days for elective induction, which is really what most doctor's offices do now. They did find that inducing labor at 39 weeks did not improve the primary outcome of death or serious complications for babies. For mothers, though, induction at 39 weeks was linked to a lower rate of Having a C section compared to those who were assigned to for expected management, who were let to go to their due dates and beyond. And really, what this is showing us is that mothers in the early induction group, while they were less likely to have a C section, they did spend more time in the hospital in labor. And it's a helpful study for making informed decisions. However, it doesn't mean that everyone should be induced. And so, especially on the internet, when like all of this information is readily available, You'll read a lot of things like, oh, the ARRIVE trial, everyone should be induced at 39 weeks. And really, it's a tool to understand, you know, being induced early may, for different reasons, decrease your chance of having a C-section. And really, part of that is that your baby's smaller. That's part of it, too. Um, And also that your doctor is going to be less likely to give you a C-section or jump to that when the baby isn't post dates because the babies tend to handle labor a little bit better because the placenta is less tired. But anyway, we just kind of wanted to, you know, acknowledge that study. It is real. It is good science. However, it doesn't necessarily lead to the conclusions that many people are pointing to. And ACOG did not change the recommendation and they do not recommend that every woman be induced at 39 weeks. Right. Based and ACOG on that. is. Oh, yes, is the American College of Obstetrics and Gynecology. And if you want to know more about the ARRIVE study, you should definitely check out the very thorough article on evidence based birth, which again, we'll link to. Yes. I just thought it was
0: important that we talk about that study because when we recently published or shared our article about inductions and why you may not want to schedule one, um, we got some some backlash and one mom specifically said well what about the arrive it shows that c sections do go down and i also want to say that like this was a study women were watched women were taken care of i mean the typical woman is she really receiving that type of mm-hmm. care it 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 could be different and at least from my perspective i mean as a doula we really do help women have better more satisfying induction experiences. However, I don't know if it would have been the same if we had not been there. And I want to feel, I I kind of feel the same way about it being a study.
1: It, it, I don't feel like it's a fair representation of what would naturally occur. Sure. And that's something that the Evidence-Based Birth article talks about, too, is that the doctors knew they were being watched. They knew that their C-section rates were under scrutiny. They also, they didn't take into account midwives working inside of the hospital and what their policies might be. And they already have very low C-section rates. And so if you're induced with a midwife in the hospital it's at 39 weeks versus right. 41 and a half, does that change? So there are a lot of variables. And I think it's a useful tool in and worth reading, but it's, you know, it's not the law or <laughs> exactly. Yeah. It's not the standard of care. Right. Okay. So reasons not to induce labor. I
0: think this is important to cover. So one your doctor's not on call. Like, I understand you've built this relationship with your doctor. You've maybe been seeing her or him since you were 15 years old, but trust me, when you're in labor, you're not gonna see them that often anyway. (laughs) They're gonna come in, check you, tell the nurse what the next things that you should be doing are, and leave. So they're maybe in your room for like five to 10 minutes most, and then they're not gonna see you for hours later. And really at the end, they come when you're ready to push. So it's not like they're really... Making a huge impact on how you feel in labor and giving you that type of emotional support that you think you're going to
1: have. Hopefully, too, if your doctor is in a practice, you chose a practice where you felt comfortable with the doctors who were in it and who you knew would be covering for your doctor in case she wasn't on call. Exactly. Yeah. So definitely. Just because your doctor is not on call doesn't mean that you should
0: get an induction. (laughs) So if your baby is born on a certain day, like, oh, my gosh, it needs to be born. 10, 10, 10. Yes. I guess 20, 20. No, no No, 20. No, no no 20. (laughs) Never mind. Can't do that for a while. But still, I mean, I get it. Like, it sounds really cool, but what's what's it worth? What's the cost? You know, is a good positive birth experience really important to you? Or is that day really important to you? I mean, I understand like having your grandmother's birthday or someone that was really special to you that's maybe no longer in your life. Like I get that. But really, I think that from what we've experienced at all the births that we've been to hundreds of them, we
1: think that the better births are the ones that are Left with hands off. Yes, if that is an option. (laughs) Exactly. Um, So that your family will be in town. I just... I wish I thought that was a good excuse, but I just don't. (laughs) I don't think it's a good reason. I think that it is so lovely when your family is around to help. And sometimes that's even critical, especially if you have other little kids at home. But I think that they should understand and you should understand that birth is unpredictable, that babies are born on their birthdays. And you know sometimes you just have to change your plans. Right. And I, I mean, the last birth that I was at, her family
0: is from Minnesota. And obviously we're here in Houston, Texas. So you know what they did? They just texted. Them and said, "Hey, we're in labor," and they got on their first flight that they possibly could, and they still got to see that baby. So, because sometimes you know labors take a little bit of time, so they may have enough time to still get to you, especially if it's an induction and your
1: first time, mom. <laughs> yes, precisely. <laughs> okay, so what else, Mary Alice? Okay, so another reason not to induce labor is because you're tired of being pregnant. I think this is a big one. This yeah. is one that I hear a lot. Yeah. Like I'm just so tired. I'm, I'm getting frustrated. I want want to see my baby. I've been pregnant forever. You know, I had a mom say the other day, she was like, well, you know, I know it's easier to take care of this baby on the inside than it is on the outside. She had three other little kids at home and she was like, I'll stay pregnant for however long I have to.
0: That's a good point. That's actually (laughs) pretty good. And I will say that your body, I feel like is just more ready whenever you do wait. Um, So I know that you're tired and I know that you're uncomfortable, but you're going to be just as tired, if not more and sore after that baby's here. So just try and remember like, this is the last couple of days that Mm -hmm. it's just you and that baby inside of you and try and cherish it. I know that sounds silly when you're having like pubic pain and sciatica and you just feel like you don't fit in Anything anymore, but like I promise, just a few
1: more days. Exactly. (laughs) Your
0: day will come. So, for fear of a big baby, I feel like this is the one that I think some care providers can kind of freak people out. Right.
1: And again, that article on evidence based birth really, really goes into the details of this, but ultrasound. Technology is not super accurate when it comes to measuring the size of a big baby. Also, the only way to know whether a baby can fit through your pelvis is to try. Truly, the only way to know whether you can give birth to a baby of any given size is to try and give birth to a baby of that size to see if they will come down into your pelvis if you dilate and if you can push them out. Yeah. I
0: mean, I've seen a woman, she was 4'11", and she birthed a 10-pound baby vaginally. Ooh. So, I mean, if she can do that, I feel like, oh my gosh, I feel like women can can push out almost anything. <laughs> You'd be surprised. But um, you're right. You need to give yourself a chance to at least try. And don't be afraid of then like, oh, but then I'm going to tear so, so much. That's a whole other episode that we yeah. can talk about, yeah. like <laughs> trying to reduce your chances of tearing. But there are things you can do to minimize tearing as well. For sure.
1: Even with a big baby. Exactly. And
0: then if there is no medical reason to induce, yeah, don't don't induce. Don't choose to do it. If there's no medical reason, if yes, you want on a certain day or your baby's getting big or you're uncomfortable, whatever it is, if there's no medical reason, we really highly recommend just avoiding it
1: altogether. Okay. So common ways labor is induced. Yes. Let's go through these. So I sort of put them in order of Least invasive to most, kind of most, sort of. (laughs) I guess maybe the last one isn't. But anyway, the first labor induction method is sweeping or stripping your membranes. This is a very mild, doesn't really always usually work way of inducing labor. But basically what it involves is your care provider giving you a cervical check and trying to sweep their fingers around the inside of your cervix and separate the membrane bag that's covering the baby and has your amniotic fluid and your baby inside of it from the wall of your cervix and, and by your uterus a it, little bit. And well, it's down. It's really only, oh, that's you're true. really right. only reaching right. your cervix. You right. can't reach all the way up into your uterus. But when you do that, it releases prostaglandins and prostaglandins help you to a soften your cervix and can kind of stimulate labor. And so it's something that you can really, I feel like, anecdotally, it works the more times you do it. So sometimes if we have a client who really wants to have their membrane stripped, we'll do it once. And then if it hasn't worked 24 hours later, we'll do it again. And sometimes that'll kind of kick them into labor. And it kind of depends on how close to the cliff you're standing. If you're just standing on the edge of the cliff ready to go into labor, sometimes it just flicks you over and gets things going. If you're way back away from the cliff and your body is nowhere near going into labor, it usually just gives people like a cramp be feeling that is annoying and or it will cause contractions that don't actually make cervical change it can kind of s- drum up some prodromal early long drawn out labor so i personally usually only recommend that someone has their membrane stripped as like a last stitch effort so if they're going to induce you on wednesday and you're in the office on monday go for it. (laughs) Right. Or, you know, if you're really, you really are past your due date and it seems like your body's probably ready to go into labor. Right. And I will say that this is not the most
0: comfortable procedure um so if you have someone with you have them hold your hand close your eyes take a deep breath relax your bottom and you know because some i've heard some clients of mine say that was the most it is uncomfortable thing totally
1: 50 50 yeah and some people just say it hurts like everything heck. yeah yeah <laughs> and However, I kind of think it depends on who's doing it. Exactly. I also really think it depends on how long people's fingers are. Because I feel like people that have short fingers they like have to get there. They in usually kinda of put their hand farther up. And sometimes I think it depends on how far your cervix is, too. So some people's cervix is higher up in their pelvis and so you have to reach more, whereas sometimes your cervix has come down farther, closer to the, your vaginal opening because the baby's head has moved down and that's a lot easier to reach. But Yes, it can be uncomfortable, but it doesn't it isn't always. Isn't
0: always, but yeah. I just like to say that just yeah. in case it is for you so right. then you're not caught off guard, right? <laughs> okay, so the next common way of induction and this one would be after sweeping the membranes if you have Low or no cervical effacement, it would be using a cervical ripening agent. So the, that really being,
1: I'm thinking servidal. Cervidil. Cervidil. Yeah. and that's something that they put inside of your vagina and usually leave for about 12 hours before starting Pitocin or something like that, and it kind of gets you ready. Yeah. So most women then check in at the hospital at like 8 p.m., get
0: all settled into their room, that gets inserted, and then 12 hours later in the morning, they get that removed and start their next, the next step.
1: <laughs> What's the next step? And that that's one thing too, like, and we are going to talk about what to expect from an induction in a second, but it really does happen in phases. <laughs> it's like, okay, well first you come into the office and we'll try stripping your membranes. And if that doesn't work, we check you in and then we start with one thing and then we try something else. And until you kind of kick into full blown labor. And so another, the kind of the next interventive um, intervention, <laughs> I don't even know if that was a real adjective, so the next common way to induce labor after your cervix is nice and ripe is called a cook catheter. And a cook catheter is something that's inserted into your cervix and it gets bigger and bigger, blown up like a balloon. And it can dilate you to about four or five centimeters. And for a lot of people, it really does make them start contracting because it puts pressure on their cervix the same way a baby's head would. And it opens it up and it dilates it. And for some people, they really do go into labor with with like a catheter, and. It's one of those things that some doctors are like, yeah, cook catheters, they're awesome. And some are like, oh no, I don't, I don't do those. <laughs> That's I just not in my repertoire. Exactly. And I will say some people call them balloon
0: catheters. So if you don't hear cook catheter, it's because maybe they refer to it as a balloon
1: catheter. So that is another way to get some, I call free centimeters. Yes, <laughs> they are free centimeters. And usually if you start to dilate past four or five centimeters, it will actually fall, fall out. out. And so sometimes the doctor... And and, you know, depending on their protocol for induction, we'll wait until it falls out and then they'll start Pitocin. Right. Which is our next Yes, that's form the big of one. Induction. It's the mother love, the mother load.
0: <laughs> <laughs> yes. So Pitocin. So this is the synthetic form of oxytocin. And this is done through your IV. So you'll have an IV, it'll be a continuous drip. And they usually start it off, most hospitals started off at a nice low number, that being like two milliunits per minute. And that can increase all the way up to 40 milliunits. I will not say that every person goes to 40 milliunits. Some people just need. That's not very common, yeah, actually. Yeah, not common. Yeah. yeah. Um, some people only need
1: four, six, or eight milliunits at most. And this really just depends on your body, yeah. like, and also how do you are. So let's say Nina's getting induced at 37 weeks. She may need 24. 24- you know, may need it pumped up to 24 in order to really have her contracting in a regular pattern. But if she was 41 weeks when she was induced, she may only need eight because the oxytocin receptors on your uterus get more and more sensitive as you progress through your pregnancy. But this happens at different times and different peoples are sensitive in different ways. And so it's just not common amongst every single woman. And also you'll hear people who say, you know, at 20 million units are just not feeling anything yeah. Or, yeah. or it's not hurting them yet. Right. And for others, you put it on two and they're in like agony. <laughs> and that just is it's just people are
0: just different. For sure. I mean, one of my most recent inductions, she went all the way up to 40 million milliunits, And to me, that was just saying that I don't think her baby was going to come anytime soon. I think she would have gone probably forty two weeks plus if you know we didn't need a baby before then. Um, but yeah, everyone is totally different when it comes to pitocin. But it is an IV drip, so you will be hooked to your your standing. What what do they call those? Oh, like a. It looks like a hat stand. I don't remember what they're called. I forget what they're called, too. Like a tree. Yeah, but basically you you just have your IV and you're, and you're walking. You can walk the halls with mm-hmm. that if you don't have an epidural, obviously. You can still do certain things, go to the restroom with that. But yes, you will be tethered to that from now
1: on with your Pitocin. Okay, next thing. The next one is breaking your water. And again, different doctors have different protocols and different you know, ways that they like to induce women. And I know a physician and she, if she can break your water, she breaks it as soon as possible. And then she really does give you a chance to go into labor before starting Pitocin. Whereas other doctors will start Pitocin, they'll get you, you know, into really active labor, four or five centimeters, get the baby down low, and then they break your water. But having an induction almost always includes breaking your water, unless you're vocal about not wanting it broken. Yeah. I'm curious, Mary Alice, Mm -hmm. what would you prefer? I think it depends. I think that if it were my third baby and it was at plus one station and I was two centimeters and I just couldn't, just was not going into labor, I'd be like, break my water, break my water. And let's just, I bet I would just go into labor. And it really does work for some people. Yeah. Um, But if you're a first time mom. But if I'm a first time mom, I'm not letting you break my water until I'm like seven or eight centimeters and my baby is low because before your water breaks, that water is really holding your baby's head up off of your cervix. It makes it, you know, makes the contractions a little bit more bearable usually before it's broken. And also, you know, letting the baby come down on its own is a better indication that it's coming down in a good position and that its head isn't cockeyed or doing anything weird. Yeah, I agree. I totally agree. When I was having a baby, uh, my water didn't break until I was pushing
0: and I, it was way more intense once my water broke. And so the more that you can hold off on that, unless baby breaks it, <laughs> you know, that's a different story. But the more that you can hold off on someone else breaking your water, I totally would recommend as well. Okay. Side
1: attack. Oh, side attack. I don't think it's used as as it's often, though. It really has fallen in and out of favor right. in different ways. But it's something that's an alternative to Cervidil at the very beginning to help. And it does soften your cervix. Some doctors will put it in vaginally, and some will have you take it orally to induce labor. Usually, if you take it orally, it really does start contractions. That, and it's like little pills. Yeah, it's don't a want little you to pill. think It's like gel or no, whatever. No. Yeah. it's a little pill. And that... Method of induction with oral cytotec has definitely fallen out of favor because the problem with that is pitocin is an IV. The half life of it is very short. If you turn off pitocin a few minutes later, you're probably not contracting anymore unless your body's doing it on its own. But with cytotec, if you give someone cytotec and then their baby doesn't react positively to it, you can't take it back if it's in their system orally. And so most people don't do that anymore. Yeah,
0: but there are some doctors that do prefer mm-hmm. this over others. So yeah. I mean, it's something to talk about whenever you're potentially going into an induction. Of mm-hmm. what
1: does your doctor typically do whenever it comes to and usually, inducing. Side attack, unlike cervidil, will almost always give people contractions if it's put next to their cervix to soften it. Most people will have contractions with side attack, unlike with cervidil.
0: Yeah. Okay, so we've gone over reasons not to induce, common ways labor is induced, but now we really want to go over what you can expect when you either have to be induced for a medical reason or
1: for personal reasons. Okay, so if you're a first-time mom, what does this look like? Yeah. Like we said, you'll almost always be asked to come in in the evening. And I think people are always really surprised by that. They're like, they want me to come in at 9 (laughs) PM. But really you come in, you get all checked in, comfy in bed, comfy-ish in bed. (laughs) You're given a cervical ripener usually. And then, you know, it's time to sleep. It's nighttime However, it obviously can be very difficult to sleep in a hospital. You're really anxious. You're going to meet your baby the next day, hopefully. And you know, you have a lot of jitters. And so I always tell my moms that you can ask your nurse if you're allowed to have an Ambien or a Benadryl or something to help you sleep that night. Definitely, for sure. And I will say that if
0: you're a first time mom, but you have like great effacement and dilation, you may not go. In the, at night, you may come in the morning because they're not even going to do a cervical
1: ripening agent. They're just going to start straight with Pitocin. And I do suggest that if you know your doctor is going to just start Pitocin and they ask you to come in at night, push as hard as you can for a morning to come in in the morning instead. I think that there's something so mentally difficult about starting Pitocin at night. I just unless it's like an emergency, got to, you know, emergency Baby induction must right. induce now. I just feel like it's kind of cruel. Yeah, no,
0: I totally agree. Like get your last big yeah. meal, a good night's rest, mm-hmm. and then you're ready to take it on. Yeah. The whole even day. if your appointment's at like 4 a.m. Yeah. I'd much <laughs> it's rather much do better. better. Yes, for sure. Okay. So if you're a first time mom, especially, <laughs> it can take a long time. I mean, Some inductions are really quick. I I will say that. Fast
1: and furious. Yes,
0: furious for sure. But some do take days. And when I say days, I mean two to three days. I'll see women who get induced and they have to turn it off because their contractions slowed down and tapered off and then nothing happens. So they're going to, you know, take everything off and allow you to take a shower, get some food in your stomach, maybe get some sleep and then start again in the next couple of hours. And that can happen a couple of times and result in two to three days when you check in to
1: finally meeting your baby. And this can surprise a lot of women. But it is. It does happen. And it's within the range of normal for a first time mom induction. It's maybe not the most common thing to happen, but it is don't feel like you're just like totally an anomaly and abnormal and something's wrong with you. Yeah, no, definitely not.
0: But as Mary Alice said, some of them are long, but some of them are super fast. And I mean, I've had women where they barely put any pitocin in her and she She's like She's off. She's she off. <laughs> she races. Off. Exactly. <laughs> like starts pushing two hours later. And yeah. I'm like, holy moly. Like yeah. you just
1: needed a little push. Your body was ready. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Another Big piece of advice that we have is eat something before you go in because you will almost certainly not be allowed to eat much of anything. Um, you may be on a clear liquid diet, and sometimes all they give you is ice chips. And really, the hospitals are changing their policies, and usually you can have chicken broth or popsicles or, you know, shaved ice or jello or something. stuff like that, but at some places you can't. And
0: that's something that I would recommend asking Mm -hmm. before you Mm -hmm. get checked in. But regardless, eat something that's going to satisfy you, but nothing too heavy, because I tell people you don't want, think about what you would be okay throwing up later. I hate to put it that way, but if it's a big fat steak or a juicy (laughs) burger, I don't know. (laughs) But it's the truth. It's so the truth. OK, so if you're admitted at night and given servadil, ask for something to help you sleep. Like Mary Alice said, that's a big thing. So again, we're talking about what you can expect when you're you're getting induced. So if you're a first-time mom, it can take long. You're going to come in at night, get that servadil, ask for something to sleep if you're not already just
1: dead tired. For sure. Yes. All right. With Pitocin, you will be on a constant electric fetal monitor and IV. And I know we mentioned this earlier, but just know that you will be attached to something and when you're on Pitocin, you have your blood pressure monitored more regularly. So just know that if you are, you know, laboring without an epidural that you can move around and you can, you know, be hooked up to the monitor and move, but know that you're going to have to put that blood pressure cuff on more regularly. Yeah. It's usually every
0: 15 Mm minutes-ish. You can move around, but in bed, Yeah, uh, an epidural. So obviously you can't get out of bed. No, no, no. I said without an epidural. Oh, okay. My bad. Sorry. I thought you said with. I was like, I don't know. know. (laughs) Okay. So um, great. And once your water is broken, if that is the next step that happens, um, your risk of an infection can significantly increase. So to monitor this, they will be checking your temperature to make sure that there isn't an infection happening, which they're looking for really chorioamnionitis. And so that's something that you're, if you're wondering, why do they keep t- checking my temperature? That is why. So they're going to ask you, have you had ice recently? OK, you haven't. Great. Let's take your temperature. Or they'll just do under the arm. So again, once your water is broken, you'll also want to request less frequent vaginal exams since that increases the likelihood of an infection. So anything up there, whether they're wanting to do like amnio infusion or anything like that, we just want to limit the checks, anything going up there. So you can avoid having a C-section for sure.
1: Another tip that we have is to talk with your doctor ahead of time about his or her typical or preferred management for induction. Before, when we were going through the ways to induce, we said, you know, different doctors have different protocols or preferences and figure out what that is ahead of time. Ask if you can have a slow or a gradual induction. And even if you can't, you'll know what to expect better. If you walk through that process with your doctor.
0: All right. So our last point, many women opt to get epidurals earlier in labor, even if their intention had been to wait until they're five to six centimeters. I like to say this because I think that contractions are way more difficult when you have Pitocin. Yes. This
1: is not your natural body. I had a client once and she had had one normal labor with no Pitocin. And then the next one she had to be induced And she was like, Pitocin is a mean, angry lady. I was like, yes, yes, it is. (laughs) That is right. I think
0: that's a very accurate description. And that's why, again, another reason to avoid induction. Like Pitocin
1: is not... It is necessarily hard.
0: your your friend mm. <laughs> in that
1: moment. And with Pitocin, just know that you can establish an intense active labor pattern and still be like two centimeters because they're turning up that Pitocin pump until you establish a good active labor pattern and not really taking into account that at two centimeters If your body was doing it on its own, you know, you'd be contracting like every 10 minutes, you would be moving around, like talking, everything would be normal. And it's being artificially established. And so it's just. It's good to know that you're not crazy for being in a lot of pain and only being two centimeters. You're not crazy for, you know, needing help or needing pain medications, even if that hadn't been your plan. Like that's it's okay. Give yourself some grace to inductions are hard. Inductions are so hard, yes. And I couldn't agree more. Yes. If this were your own body
0: doing all these things, this would look totally different. (laughs) So definitely give yourself some grace. All right, guys. I feel like we covered it. I feel like we covered, so you guys should hopefully feel really prepared if you're needing to be induced, so... We really want to know, though, do you have any tidbits of advice for mamas getting induced? Have you been induced before? Love to hear your experience. You can share it with us or join us in the conversation on our Facebook page, where we'll be posting today's episode and answering questions in the comments. As always, please, if you've enjoyed what you've been listening to, subscribe to Chick Chat, the Baby Chick Podcast on iTunes, Stitcher, Google, TuneIn, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. You can also follow us on Facebook, Instagram, Pinterest, and of course, our website, www baby chickcom